everybody welcome to what's up with pastor chuck and i am so excited we get to be together and talk about what we're about to talk about because i really do think this is a vital topic to delve into let me give you a heads up it also can be somewhat controversial uh at least in the church is controversial uh and there are people who are very serious Christians, very committed Christians who have two different views on this subject. So we're going to look at the view that Crossroads has and that I have. And so I want to talk to you about that. And the subject is this, is uh, what does the Bible say about women in leadership? Uh, the first thought I had when I, I, by the way, I had some people say, please talk about it. And the first thought I had when some people said, talk about it is uh, I, I thought about a friend of mine named John Douglas. Now you might be thinking, why John? Uh, John uh, is an amazing pastor now. He also was an incredibly uh, a pioneering missionary. Uh, he went to areas of Africa that no one had ever preached the gospel in before and, uh, and, and, and did amazing work amongst the tribes. Uh, John had a background from Cal Poly Pomona, which was his alma mater. So he was not only preaching the gospel, he was teaching them how to do agriculture. So spiritually, man, they, there was a revolution going on, but also economically a revolution and went on because they were able to do farming in a way that made more sense, that was far more productive. Again, you're probably saying, why are you going into that? John came home on furlough. And he was uh, invited to be on a panel at Cal Poly Pomona, but he wasn't ready for what happened. He's sitting on this panel, pretty packed room, and one of the people on the panel was a woman who was a feminist, and she began to attack Christianity. I mean, she was vehement. She was so uh, uh, angered by, I guess, the whole idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And so she kept attacking and attacking and attacking. And John's sitting there, uh, first caught off guard. Uh, John's a strong man, but he's also a, a gentle and quiet man. And so he let her go and he let her go. And then he asked her a question. He said, I want to ask you a question. I want you to answer me in front of everybody. He said, I want you to name one culture where Christianity is the major influence of that culture that women's rights and women's value did not go up instead of down, where women became more free where they were, had, they were able to have more influence. He said, name a culture where Christianity is the major influence, and that didn't happen. And she couldn't name one. You know why there isn't one. Every time Christianity is the major influence, women are valued more, not less. Women are freed more, not less. Women have more impact and more influence, not less. Then he said to her, I'd like you to do this and listen to this. He said, I want you to name a culture where Christianity is not the in major influence and women's rights have gone up. And I want you to name it where they've gone down. Well, she refused to name it where they'd gone down because she would put herself in the midst of controversy. But I want to tell you, you wouldn't have to think hard or long of areas of our world today where women are subjugated, women are in bondage, and they're suffering. But what you'll look at is Christianity is not the major influence in that culture. Here's why. Whenever the Bible is taught correctly, Whenever the truth of God goes out, we find freedom and we find value for people. That's true of all races. That's true of all economic classes. And that's true of, of, of gender equality. So I want you to know that. A lot of people aren't aware of that. And the, the essence of that is found in one of the most important verses in all the Bible. And it's Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Uh, that verse is so incredible to me because it talks about when we come in, uh, together in Christ, we're all one. And there's not walls of division. Uh, there's not value imparted in any other way than the fact that you're a brother of mine or a sister of mine in Christ, and we love Jesus, and we're all in the family of God. I think it's really worth taking that passage in context, because listen to the context of that passage. And starting in Galatians 3.26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you were all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. The key word in that passage is the word all. All, all, all. We are all sons of God. Whether you're male nor female, you're all sons of God. Whether slave nor free, you're all sons of God. We're all clothed in Christ, male nor female. Uh, all clothed in Christ, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. We're all clothed in Christ. We're all one in Christ. I think that's so incredible that we all are one in Christ and we are all Abraham's descendants and heirs of the promise. Now, at the time that Paul wrote this, the controversy wasn't really men and women. The controversy is whether uh, Gentiles can not only be in the church, whether Gentiles, non-Jewish people, can have leadership in the church. And you know what he said? He said, when we come in Christ, we all have that value. We're all accepted. We're all loved. We are all equal that he was saying and so that freed people who were not jewish to be able to take leadership in the church and use their gifts in the church it also meant slaves were able to come into the church and have equal value to those who were not slaves and and by the way of course eventually wherever christianity goes slavery ends and and here's what i want you to grab hold of that also applies to women women at that time had no value either in the jewish culture uh, in the Roman culture, uh, they, they didn't have the value that men had. As a matter of fact, many of the rabbis would pray a prayer saying, I thank God that I am not a Gentile and that I am not, uh, and that I am not a woman. And, and you know what the reality was is God loves Gentiles. God loves women. God loves Jews. God loves Greeks. God loves all races and all people. And so we need to understand that according to this passage, we all come together as one in Christ. Some people that I know have tried to say, well, this passage is only about salvation and it's not about the acceptance that each group has in the church and their ability to be a vital part of that church and that church family. But that's not true. When you take it in context, you see Paul was saying that, you know, whether you're Gentile or Jew, you, have, you can rise in leadership, uh, whether you're slave or free. Imagine if you were a slave and you heard that. You come into this church and you have equal value to those who are not slaves or who have never been slaves. And, and you can have the same role in leadership. That's part of what it was saying there. You're all considered Abraham's descendants, by the way. And the word went out, whether you're male or female, you have the right to come into the church and you have the right to be a part of this amazing church. Uh, by the way, Paul practiced that. We saw the practice of it. Uh, there was a man named Onesimus. 
And Onesimus was a slave. And Paul wrote to his owner, Philemon, that I want you to treat him as a member of your household now. And he is someone of great value. And we know from church history that Onesimus rose up to be a leader in the early church. Why? Because there's neither slave nor free. And so we see that what God applied to Gentiles, what God applied to slaves, God was applying to women. And so women have value in the church, equal value in the church, to men. Now, are there differences in roles between that? There may be, but the reality is that doesn't mean that women are ever brought into subjugation. They're not having less value and they're not to be held back or held down. And so we are all, all one in Christ. Are you ready for this one? Get ready for this. If you're leaning in, we are all priests to God. Now I'm going to pause on that. We are all brought into the kingdom of God to be priests to God, whether slave or free, Gentile or Jew, male or female. And uh, what does it say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. So you know what is at that time, the priesthood was was only for those who were the lineage of the tribe of Levi. And now Paul said, that's not true anymore. Uh, You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to to let that stop you. You are all called to be a kingdom of priests. And by the way, we call this doctrine the priesthood of all believers, not some believers. So that means men are priests to God. Women are priests to God. And we all are to carry out the obligations of the priesthood. Isn't that interesting? Men and women both. Revelation 1.6 brings this out and says this. It says, And he, Jesus, made us to be a kingdom, uh, uh, made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus made everybody, men and women, to be a kingdom of priests. And so we are to live that out. And that's what became revolutionary. Remember, this was countercultural in the time Paul wrote this. Uh, today, it's probably not as countercultural, to be honest. Only in segments of the church does it tend to be. But, but that same truth applies that we are to see women as people who are accepted as priests in the sight of God to carry out ministry in the name of God and not to be held back or hold, held down. So we see not only was this the principal teaching of the early church, it was the practice of the early church. Philip was known to have four daughters who were prophetesses. I I want you to hang on to that, and and we're going to talk about that. What does that mean? See, they were famous for being prophetesses in the early church. In uh, Acts 21, 8 and 9, it says, On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. They were famous for being prophetesses. And what does that mean? That means they preached. That means they preached. Don't miss that. These four women preached in the early church. Now, how do we know that? Because the biblical definition of the act of prophecy is found in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. So what is it these four women did? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3, 
the one who prophesies speaks to men. <laughs> I think that's interesting. They were prophetess who spoke to men, but actually applies beyond that. For edification, exhortation, and consolation. So they would bring edification. Now, what is edification? Well, it's to build up somebody's faith. And the only way your faith is built up, the only way my faith is built up or edified is from the hearing of the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So these four women would have preached the word of Christ. They would have preached the word of God. And that is how they would have edified people in the church and edified the church at large. Uh, Paul, in the same passage in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, tells of the practice and how we see edification taking place. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says the one who prophesies, and remember we just read that four women prophesy, uh, these women prophesied in the church and were famous for it, uh, they, they speak edification. Listen to what Paul says in the context of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? For edification. So when the daughters came, when these four women were part of speaking in the church, they may have brought a psalm, they may have brought a teaching, they may have brought a revelation, they may have brought a tongue, uh, the ability to speak another language, they may have brought the interpretation to that language, and then it says, let all things be done for what? For edification. So a person who prophesies brings those kinds of things so that edification can take place. So these women clearly were preaching God's word. That's what I don't want you to miss. So if you were to come to Crossroads, there are times uh, on a weekend or even a midweek service where we have women stand up and they preach freely. And by the way, let me tell you this, I get edified. I get edified. Uh, so we have women in our church who speak God's word and they teach me so much. Uh, they edify my faith so much. Um, and, and I love it. I love learning and I love having God's word brought that way. So a woman can preach, a woman can teach. Uh, by the way, the one who prophesies also brings exhortation. So 1 Corinthians 3, 14, 3 says they bring edification, which is the teaching. They also bring exhortation, which means that they exhort people on how to live their lives according to God's word. Uh, whenever I preach or bring exhortation, uh, what happens is I'll say to you, here's what God wants you to do. Here's how God wants you to live. And so we give you practical ways to live out God's word. That's called exhortation. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke, and what do you do next? Exhort with great patience and instruction. So when Philip's daughters would have practiced the gift God gave them and lived out the office they had as a prophetess, they would have brought exhortation, which means they would have taught God's word and how you can go and live that out. So they were, they were known for that. The church celebrated that. Um, and, and we see that. Uh, we see that uh, in what these women did. We see that in what other women did. Um, first Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to get to that in a little bit because there's a question that arises there, but Paul is calling for us to come together in the church. It's a talking about first Corinthians 11 is how the church actually acts when they come together and, and what they're to do when they come together. And Paul says, I need you to come together in an orderly manner. 
And then he calls for women to come in. Now, this is interesting. In that time, in that culture, in the synagogue, women were not welcome to be in the assembly. They were, they were outside, and, and if they could lean in and listen, they could listen, but they weren't to be amongst the men. Paul says when you come together, and he wants the women now to be a part of the assembly. Why? Because in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So everybody gets to come together, which again was counterculturally. And then he says this, he goes, I want women to be free and even celebrated in praying and prophesying in the assembly. Now, remember before they weren't even welcome in the assembly. Now they're to stand and they're to pray. Now they're standing to prophesy. And in 1 Corinthians eleven five, it says this, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now, before I get on to that, let me see what he had noticed. The main point, he said, I want her to cover her head, which is a sign of authority that she's under the authority of God in the church. But here's the thing. She comes to pray and prophesy. So he doesn't say don't let her pray. He doesn't say don't let her prophesy, which means to edify and exhort. He says, I want her to do it, but I always want her to do it uh, under the authority uh, of what she, uh, of the church and uh, under the authority of God. And so she comes hum humble and submissive. By the way, um, I think it's probably worth me noting this. I, uh, I don't cover my head because that's not what we do in our day and time, but I do come under God's authority. I do come under the authority of our eldership. I do come in submission when I bring God's word. I come in respect to them and respect to God, and I don't come pridefully. And so that's what Paul's talking about here. And so he wants us to, to realize the whole idea that women are to come, and they are to be celebrated, and they are to be invited to pray and to preach. I think that you can't miss that. So what I don't want any of you to miss is that women were a part of the priesthood. See, that's what I'm saying. They were a part of the priesthood of all believers, and they were to use the gifts that God gave them. In our church, we want everybody to discover their spiritual gift. And then we want everyone to be unleashed in using their spiritual gift. So I mentioned one of the spiritual gifts is prophecy. Do you know what another spiritual gift is? Leadership. Leadership. And both men and women can be given the gift of leadership. Some of you have the gift of leadership. In Romans 12, it talks about that particular gift. And it says, just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts differing according to the grace of God. Note it, not differing according to gender. <laughs> it's differing according to God's grace which is God's charis, God's gifting. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Notice that. Each of us, meaning everybody, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, are to exercise their gifts accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of their faith, and we already saw that there were women who did that. If service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with, with uh, cheerfulness. And so I know that women can be given the gift of leadership and they need to use that gifting. 
uh, the idea of leadership is not bossing around. Right? If you don't know what uh, the whole idea of leadership, it's the, it's about serving in a way that catapults other people and their ability to be effective in following God. So we see throughout the Bible that people could do that. We see women get to do that. Uh, I alluded to this in the last podcast. But one of my favorite people in the Bible is Deborah. Deborah uh, was found in the book of Judges, and Deborah was a judge, and Deborah was a prophetess. She was both a judge or the leader, either one of the leaders, but more likely the leader in the land of Israel in her day. And she was a prophetess too. And in Judges chapter 4, 4 and 5, it says now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, uh, was judging Israel at that time. So she was a prophetess and a judge. And she used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came to her for judgment. So everybody knew that if we needed a decision made, a leadership moment given, they would come to Deborah to make the judgment. And so she was carrying on this amazing tradition and, pro and, and position of being a judge in the land of Israel. Uh, then it came time that they needed to be freed from a group of people who were enemies trying to subjugate them. So Deborah called Barak, who was going to lead the army, and she called Barak to her, and she said, I need you to go to battle for us. She was the judge. She was the one dictating it was time for he as her general to go to war. And Barak said something very interesting. Barak said, I won't go unless you go with me. In other words, I need you there as my leader. I need you there to give people the encouragement and strength they need. I need you there as the one who's been leading us before the Lord our God. And so Barak said, I won't go unless you go with me. Now, interestingly, don't miss this. I've had some people say, well, the reason Deborah was a judge is because the men were weak or the men lacked faith. But that's not true. And you might say, Chuck, well, that's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. Hebrews 11.32 lists Barak as one of those in the hall of fame of faith. Why was he there? Because he followed Deborah. Don't miss that. His willingness to support her leadership and to do what she called him to do and lead where she told him to lead is what caused her him to be in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So there's no way. There's no way it's because he lacked faith. There's no way it's because he wasn't following God. So in the Bible and in the early church, we see women who are freed and honored to take on ministry and to take on leadership and to do amazing things in the church. Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. Lydia is named as one of the founding people of the church of Philippi. Priscilla, along with her husband Aquila, as a team, they taught Apollos the correct doctrine, and they let out in the church, and they were known in the Roman church as leaders, both Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, uh, anybody who comes to Crossroads knows that I have a wife named Pam, <laughs> and we all know that Pam is a leader. Uh, she's a gracious leader, but she's a leader, and we honor her in that role, and I all the time am learning from her, and uh, we honor her leadership here in this church. I, I do have to tell you this. Uh, a lot of people call Pam our first lady, which I think is kind of cool, and then there are a lot of people. Herbert Cooper calls her Pastor Pam. Uh, he, By the way, Herbert's uh, in a church way bigger than ours, and he calls her Pastor Pam. 
and uh, uh, and Pam is a leader. And so Priscilla was a leader along with Aquila. In Romans 12, we also know of Mary doing amazing work for God and being singled out for that. And a woman named Junia, and, and this will blow your mind, she's actually called an apostle by Paul. Is that interesting or what? And, uh, uh, and the word junia is in the feminine, so you can't miss that. So we see women were celebrated in the early church. So the principle is we're all one in Christ. The practice is that women, along with anyone else, are valued and, and given gifts of the Holy Spirit and called to be a part of the royal priesthood of Jesus and that we are all to be a part of that. So there does rise a question that's worth asking. Uh, is there, though, an issue of authority? Is there an issue of authority? Uh, and there really is, and so I don't want to miss that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says that women are free to pray and prophesy as long as their heads are covered, which was a sign of authority. By the way, do we physically have to cover heads today? No. Uh, this is where, get ready, don't miss this, don't miss this. The correct way to study the Bible, the correct way, is to ask who is he talking to or who is being spoken to? What, are the, what is being said to them and how does it apply to us? Uh, in our day and time, a woman wearing a head covering is not a sign of authority. In Paul's day and time, it was a sign of purity and authority. So what was he saying to the women? I want you to be in, uh, under the authority of God, and, and I also want you to live lives of purity. And so there was a modesty aspect that was applying to that. So women today, what we need to know is what was he saying to them is you make sure you live your lives in purity and, and in respect. Today, women live their lives in purity and respect, but they don't have to physically cover their head. They just have to carry themselves that way. So Paul, Paul said when women come to the church, they still have to be humble. By the way, let me ask you a question. Are men supposed to be humble? I think the answer is clearly yes. So it's not one or the other. We all come submitting ourselves to God, humbling ourselves before God, and humbling ourselves before one another, showing humility. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 is a very interesting passage. And again, we would want to ask, what was he saying to them? And how does that apply to us? So who is being spoken to? What was he saying to them? How does that apply to us? And in 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, it says a woman uh, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So some of you are going, whoa, 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 Pastor Chuck. Um, that tells me that a woman can't teach in church. That tells me a woman can't preach. And, and I would say this, if you study that passage and really study it and ask the right questions, who is being spoken to? What was he saying to them? How does that apply to us? That you will not come to the conclusion women can't teach or preach. And get ready for this, especially if you go to the original language. So we're going to talk about who was being spoken to. William Barclay is a famous commentator, and he says what you need to know about this particular time is, again, women were not invited to be in the assembly. Paul is clearly stating here, I want women to be there. Women were not to be instructed in Paul's day and time. They were not to be given an education. Paul is clearly saying here, I want women to be in the assembly being educated. See, that's what he's talking about in this moment. And so he is being very countercultural. He is breaking segregation 
uh, uh, down. He, he's doing away with the segregation by creating integration. And then what happened in this passage, he's saying this, but I need the women to come in and to be a part of the assembly, but they need to be respectful. Uh, By the way, the word quietness there is not to be silent. There was another Greek word for silent. This meant to be calm. So there's a difference between it. Uh, The Bible talks about a quiet and gentle spirit. That doesn't mean you have to be silent. It means you're calm and you don't create commotion, which, by the way, in our church today, we don't want anyone creating commotion. Okay, Uh, and so uh, that's a part of having an orderly gathering together. See, the issue is of authority. So when it says, I don't permit women to teach or have authority over a man, the word teach and authority are synonymous. Uh, You might say, well, where do you get that from? Well, in the Bible, we see that very often the word teach can have the idea of teaching or it can have the idea of telling people how to live. Uh, And and in 1 John 2, 26 and 27, Listen to what it says. It's going to use the word teach. The same Greek word is in 1 Timothy. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him, from Jesus, abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. So I'm going to I'll read it on, but don't miss that. You have no need for anyone to teach you. Do you need a teacher? What's the answer? Do you need someone to teach you the Bible? I do. Do you? I think the answer is yes. So he's not saying we don't want people to teach scripture. He's talking about people who would take authority in your life. And he says, but as as his anointing, Jesus' anointing teaches you about all things and is true and not a lie. And just as it has taught you, abide in him. So here's what I want you to know. I'm a pastor teacher, but I am never to be dictatorial in your life. I am never to tell you how to live your life. I could show you what God's word says about how to live your life and point you to what God says, but I shouldn't be the one to tell you how to live your life. So for instance, in our church, you know, uh, I don't come in and say to people, well, I don't like the outfit you're wearing. Go change your outfit. Are there times I don't like people's outfits? <laughs> I really don't care. So no, that never bothers me one way or the other. But I don't tell you what kind of car to drive. I don't tell you what job to take. Uh, if you were struggling and needed advice, I'd give that to you. If I thought that you were doing something immoral, I would show you what God's word says and call you not to do that. But the reality is, is I'm not going to, to lord it over you, which it goes back to a principle of leadership. So what Paul is saying is I don't permit women to tell men what to do in that way. I I want them to be people who go to God's word and and live that out. By the way, Jesus brought this home. Jesus said, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone earth your father, for one is your father and he he, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders or teachers, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Now, the idea here is, do you have a father that's your father on earth? Sure. And you can call them your father, but don't call me your father. And don't treat me like I would tell you what to do like a father, because I'm, I'm a fellow member of the church. We're brothers and sisters, and, and God is our father. And the truth of the matter, who's the teacher in the church? Jesus. Now we have people who teach, but the teacher is Jesus. So the idea is the idea Jesus said, don't let people take that authority in your life. Paul is saying to the women, you come in and you learn. 
you come in and, and you get everything God has for you, but don't use that knowledge to boss people around. That's what he's saying in that passage. That's what he was saying to them, and that's what he is saying to us today. And that's where the key word comes in. He said, I don't permit women to teach or have authority over a man. The Greek word for authority there uh, is a very in interesting Greek word. It's authenteo, authenteo, and it means to be absolute or to be the master. It also means to domineer or to control. You ready for this? It also means to murder. <laughs> it does. It means to murder. So he says, I don't permit women to be the absolute master over men. I don't permit women to domineer men. I don't permit women to control or be domineering in their manner towards men. And I don't permit women to murder men. <laughs> Murder men. So, but by the way, he doesn't want that for men towards women. You know, men are not supposed to domineer women or murder women or be uh, extra controlling. And and men aren't to do that to other men either. The the church comes together in in humility. The church comes together uh, seeing each other as people we minister to. The church comes together not looking out for our own personal interests, but for the interests of others. We don't come in to to be bosses, we come in to serve. And the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is what? A servant of all. And so that's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Timothy. He says, you have the women in there. I'm telling you, they can come in. I want them there and I want them to learn and I want them to receive instruction, which was huge back then. And so what happens is, is God began to move saying, this incredible gift called education is for men and for women. So Paul is calling for the church to bring women in, to unleash them in using their gifts, and to uh, encourage them to be educated, uh, which is very counterculture in this day. So that's how I see women in the church. And so we celebrate women at Crossroads. We look for raising up their leadership. We look for learning their wisdom. We look for watching them use their spiritual gifts. By the way, the same with men, though. I, I, for men, I, I want that, too. So now you might be asking the question, so is there anything in the uh, church a woman can't do? Uh, can women be elders in the church? And that will be on another podcast. <laughs> because we're out of time, but I can't wait to get into that one with you. <laughs> All right, so we want everybody to understand that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. We are all one in Christ, all heirs of Abraham, all celebrating being in a family together. And it's about loving and honoring and lifting up. And may we do that well. May we do that well. God bless you, and I'll see you soon.